the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'd like to begin with a reading, Psalm 42. You've heard it many times before, I'm sure. There's a couple of songs with it. As the deer longs for streams of water, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. My tears and see the face of God. My tears have been, have been my bread day and night as they ask me every day, where is your God? Those times I recall as I pour out my soul when I would cross over to the shrine of the Mighty One to the house of God amid loud cries of thanksgiving with the multitude keeping festival. The word of the Lord. Okay, let me explain a couple of things before we start. First of all, some of you people said to me yesterday that I didn't really have a thick New York accent. <clears throat> you know, <laughs> that's, not a, that's not an insult. I don't want to sound like a mobster, so uh, it's okay if I don't. Tonight and tomorrow night, you'll get a sheet. This is the compliments of the parish here. You could take this home. Don't, don't return it. Don't leave it in the pew because somebody's going to have to clean it up. What this is is just bullet points of my talk tonight so that if there's things that you're saying, I, I didn't get that, the only thing that's on here is stuff, everything I say is passing. Stuff on this paper is stuff that you might want to remember. At the bottom of it, there are suggested scriptural passages. And the purpose for that is so that you uh, can take this home, and if you want to pray about something tomorrow, you take the scripture passage and just pray with that. Hopefully it will help you in your prayer. We're here tonight as a parish mission, as a parish retreat. I don't care what you want to call it. It's meant to be something that uh, affects you, affects you. And affecting you means it touches your emotions, it touches your feelings. Not that what I have to say will touch your emotions. What I pray for, what I prayed for all week, is that you will hear what you need to hear and the Lord will move you the way he needs to move you, not the way I think you should be moved. The theme of this, these two nights is based on this simple theme, putting out into the deep, Taking the, looking at the disciples who were fishermen. They had to get into the boat, and they would go fishing. They'd throw their nets out, and they would catch fish. Probably based on people who have gone fishing, now we have all kinds of equipment to do this, they probably weren't successful more than 50% of the time. And this was their livelihood. So, But it's casting your net out into the deep. What does that mean in your heart? And so I'm going to talk about discipleship tonight and tomorrow night in, in different ways because we are called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Where does this word discipleship come from? It comes from a Latin word, deshere. 
which means to learn. A person becomes an apprentice, a soldier, a student. They learn a trade. Now, a friend of mine, who is a retired carpenter, he's a brilliant carpenter, we'll call him Joe. Joe's a safe name. I'll call him Joe. I call him Joe because I, I was preaching one time about Joe, and uh, somebody, I think it's on YouTube somewhere, whatever. And uh, I don't want to hurt my friend's feelings, although he doesn't care what I say. So, um, in fact, I was preaching about it, and some guy came up to me and said, he, he may, mentioned the guy's name. He says, I said, how do you know him? He said, I used to work with him. So let me tell you about Joe. Joe was a... a a great carpenter he's before he retired and you know he was a real mechanic and he knew everything about wood there was to know uh, I, I never knew any of this stuff he said said to me one time see this beam in my house I said yeah he says which way did the tree fall so I don't know you have to look at the grain you look at how the grain was cut and you could tell which way the tree fell down I said well this is Greek to me anyway so Joe, one day, gets a call from the Carpenters Union president, and he said, listen, the, uh, we're talking with the apprentices, and they really want you to teach a class to them. He goes, oh, okay, I'm flattered. He said, well, Joe, don't be, because uh, the other part of that is not one apprentice likes you. They hate you, as a matter of fact. Well, Joe was a tough, tough foreman, tough. And so he told me, he says, you know, you know why they hate me? I, I like that, the fact that they hate me. He says, because when they come to work for me, I would set up rules. You come and you give me 110% every day. I don't care what's going on in your life. I don't care what you drank last night. I don't really care. You never talk to me about your family. I don't care about your family. I don't care about your life. Don't ask me about my life because it's not your business. Don't ask me out for beer after work. I will never socialize with you, so don't think that I'm your friend. I don't like you, and that's how we're starting. <laughs> and he said, but you know what? Every one of those guys, by the time they were finished with me, they knew everything I knew about carpentry, about woodwork, about building roofs that attach to each other. And he said, and I would tell him, I'm doing this not for you, I'm doing this all for me because I'm gonna retire someday and you're gonna be paying my pension and I want people to hire you because you are an excellent carpenter because if you don't, I get affected by your lousy work. That's a tough taskmaster. So an apprentice is one who learns from a master. They all liked learning from him. They didn't want to work with him, but they liked working from him. He, he, one day, his wife is my, my really close friend, and he, he gets a little upset. And the story I just told you was kind of filtered in with the F word every other word. And... Uh, 
One one day he was he was going to cut the grass with his tractor, and the tractor wouldn't start, and he got very mad at it, and he's yelling and screaming. She's talking to me. She says, you hear him? It's echoing through the valley, his language. So she went out, and she said, why don't you do what you did last year? He said, what did I do last year? She says, you took your gun out and shot the lawnmower. He's all I forgot. Tough guy. Great guy. I love him dearly. But he's a tough guy. And you know what? People learn the trade. An apprentice learns what a master gives. And, and the way they learn that is a tool. And the tool for, dis, uh, for dis discipleship is discipline. That's the tool. The word comes from it. Discipline as a tool is objective and subjective. Let me tell you about objective, an objective understanding of what this discipline is. As an objective point, it's what a, a disciple learns. It's what they learn. Accomplish a pattern. Go into the military, you, you, you know, you, you go through boot camp, you're a disciple. You're learning discipline in boot camp. You're never going to do push-ups on a battlefield. But during boot camp, you better do exactly what you're told. Why? Because you're learning a discipline. And you're learning what a disciple is supposed to learn. Subjectively, it's the way a disciple learns. And so discipline as a subjective way is, is the way the disciple learns. It, they enter into the learning. So I'll give you this example. Uh, anybody who plays musical instruments can understand this. So a number of years ago when I was provincial, I was saying Mass Christmas Eve night, and this parish had a beautiful flautist. She was incredible. So after Mass, I said to her, you know, she really played a beautiful flute. And she said, uh, well, thank you. And, and, you know, and she says, I, I teach the flute. Well, I have a flute. And I got the flute back in the 70s because I was going to play, for you older people, uh, Jethro Tull stuff. I saw Ian Anderson as my idol, and Ian Anderson used to play with his leg up. And so I was going to learn the flute so I could play all the Jethro Tull music because I didn't. I fooled around with it a little bit and I quit. So she said, I would love to teach, teach you the flute. I said, oh, this is great. She says, $35 a half hour, $50 an hour. Okay. <laughs> Clergy discount? So um, I said, you know, okay, well, you know what? I can't come every week because I don't have that kind of money, but I'll come every other week. She goes, okay. She didn't get my clue. <laughs> anyway, so I went. She was a phenomenal teacher. Really, really a, a masterful person. I remember she gave me, she, I, I still have this, 10 pages of scales. She said, I want you to practice this every night. So I did. Next week I went to her. I said, you know, those scales you gave me? She says, yeah. I said, it takes me 45 minutes to go through all those pages. By that time, I don't feel like practicing. She says, all right, take a couple at a time. And I said, do you ever do these? She goes, every day. I said, how long does it take you? She says, five minutes. I'm like, oh, okay. I got a lot of learning to do. So anyway, I got this musical piece one day, and 
I practiced it. I had every note down perfectly, perfectly. And so I played it for her the following week and because I was waiting for all the compliments and she said, you did a really good job. That was excellent. She says, now play the music. I said, I just did. She says, no. So she took her flute, her $13,000 gold flute, and I thought that's what the difference was. It was her $13,000 flute. <clears throat> and she played the piece. It was totally different than what I played. Same notes. And I said, how come yours sounds so different than mine? She says, you played the notes. I entered into the music. I entered into the music. A disciple, as a subjective way, learns the way to learn, enters into it. And when they enter into it, it's a whole different perspective. Now, just keep that in mind as we go through this, what discipleship is. You see, Jesus Christ didn't call disciples to do some things. He doesn't need us to do stuff. He calls us disciples to enter into the experience of God. To enter into it. What's a disciple that learns what, uh, what to do? They're the ones who come to church every Sunday and do, and do the holy things. They say their rosary every day. They say their prayers every day. They do what they're supposed to do. Or what they think they're supposed to do but they never enter into the experience. They never enter into the experience. So our discipleship is God's invitation. Every relationship, a person makes an effort to pursue the other. That's how relationships work. Two people very rarely ever come together and say, huh, isn't that funny? Both of us feel exactly the same way at exactly the same time, and isn't that wonderful? No, one usually pursues the other usually pursues the other. Sometimes it ends in success, and sometimes it ends in failure. So a, per, a guy is asking this girl out. He's trying, he's trying to get her to go out with him, and she says no. It, it, she doesn't want to be bothered with him. It, it's not a good day, not a good day. you know. Um, or she says yes, and now that relationship can, can start to shift, to change a little bit. It depends how one responds to the other that makes the difference. So a guy goes up to a girl and says, you know, you want, you, I'd like to go out with you. You want to go out with me? And if he gets this kind of response, are you kidding? Um, not good for his ego. Not good for his ego. A friend of mine years ago, well, many years ago when he was a teenager, he and his friends had a, had a a, a tally sheet and the idea of it was whoever got the most rejections in a week won so they pursued the most beautiful girls in school and everything else hoping that they would get rejected the rule was if she said yes you had to go out with her and and so if they, she said yes they would get discouraged you know they would, oh I got, I got i got two yeses this week i i tried to to, to fail one is in pursuit of the other. In our relationship, in God's invitation, God is in pursuit of us all the time. All the time. 
Uh, sometimes, not on occasions, not on a Sunday, all the time. He's in pursuit of us. In relationship with God, God pursues us. We think, well, we go, we go towards God. No, we don't. Even the thought of going towards God is the Spirit of God working inside of us, moving us in that direction. We can't take any credit for having God in our life except that we might have said yes. Uh, so God has planted in every human heart the hunger and longing for the infinite, nothing less than himself. God has planted in every human heart the hunger and longing for the infinite, which is him, nothing less than himself. Think about that. When God created humans, God created us individually, he implants inside of our human heart that hunger for him. Whether we pursue it or not makes no difference. That hunger is still there. We can wash that away. You know, if, if that's the case, how come so many people turn away from God? Because they can. Because God has given us the free choice to say no, if we feel like it. He's given us the free choice to reject him. That's what he does. Because God wants us to, to be pursued and for us to respond in freedom. I'll talk about that in a second. So this is where the desire is born inside of us. The desire to love God. The desire to end up in a relationship with God. It's rooted in our affect. Grips our passions. You know, People say, you know, like, I, I don't have any affect when I pray. Therefore, God, by letting yourself, remember, God created us with emotion. Therefore, God is going to enter into our emotion. Does it mean that every time I pray, I feel good? No. But does it mean that when I pray, I can feel good? Yes. Not every time I pray, I'm going to feel good. But God wants us to affect our hearts with his affect, with, with, and with our affect. It presumes love. All right, moving away from the mic. Can you hear me? It's going to get blistered. Well, she can't hear me. It wasn't on. I'm going to embarrass you. And your first name is? Elizabeth. Rose Fitzak. Okay. Rosie, I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> we, we have been together here for about five minutes. Ten minutes, whatever. Half hour. And... Rospita and I are both Christians. We're Catholics, baptized. And so, Rose, I say to you, you know what? I really love you and, and Jesus Christ. How does that make you feel? A stereotype. A stereotype. That's the first time I got that answer. That's a good one. Okay, now suppose I was to say to you, We've been together. I've been looking at you now for about a minute. I think I'm in love with you. That's funny. 
that's funny, she says. <laughs> I'm rejected again. Oh. Why do I say that? Is that, that one word, that one word, in love, can change everything. Can make you feel awkward, make you feel, wh what's this guy, a little weird? I gotta talk to Father Bill about this guy. What did he get this guy for? Why? What, what, what is it? It's, it's, simply, it's simply a different way of looking at things. I want to acknowledge Rosita. Rosita. I'm not going to get this. Let's give her a round of applause for being a victim here. Why do I say that? I say that because God doesn't love us. God never loved us. God is in love with us. If I say, you know what, you know, I, we're, we're united as Christians. I love you, you love me, and guess what? I'm gone tomorrow. Big deal. There's no commitment to that. But once the word in love, a falling in love, is in there, Everything changes. Everything. You know why? Because those words have power. Those words say, in love, falling in love, that requires commitment. That requires a change. That requires someone's pursuing the other. And so when God looks at us individually, he looks at us and says, I'm so excited in love with you I am in love I'm falling in love with you every day that's what God is saying to us he's not saying I love you he's saying I'm in love with you and it's exciting to me to be in love with you even if you reject me that's the God we're talking about here this is the God who says I'm in love with you so much I want you to get in the boat with me. I want you to be with me forever. I'm creating you so that when you die, you can be with me forever. Forever. St. Augustine says, God loves each one of us as if there were only one of us. God loves each one of us as if there were only one of us. We're not a little pebble here. God loves each one of us uniquely, individually, and communally. He can do that. A parent can do that too. I love my five children. Well, do you love each one differently? Yes. Which one do you love more? Well, I don't know. It's, it, I just love each one of them. And I love all my children, and I love each one individually. Well, that's nice but you've got to magnify that to even comprehend what God's love is for us. It's a challenge. So what does it mean to be in love? Do crazy things. You know, um, some of you uh, people here have bald heads or gray hair, so I'm going to ask you this question. How many of you remember the Baltimore Catechism? Raise your hand high. And now you don't have to answer this, but how many of you remember the answer to this question? Why did God make us? 
Okay, the answer, you gave the answer. To know him, to love him, to serve him on earth, to be happy with him forever in heaven. All you younger people who don't know the Baltimore Catechism, see, you didn't learn that. You didn't learn that. You didn't, you didn't get nailed having to memorize these questions every day. Every day. And usually the teacher's pets would ask those questions as all the, everybody else in the class stood against the wall in the back of the room and got hit with these questions, only to show the rest of the class that I was an idiot. So I always made friends with the teacher's pets, so they would ask me that question, or who is God? God is our Heavenly Father. Oh, I can't remember that one. But anyway, maybe I always got why did God make us? God made us to know him, to love him, to serve him on earth, to be happy with him forever in heaven. Those words come from St. Ignatius. I think they come from other saints too. But I know St. Ignatius of Loyola said that. But look at the pattern. Look at the order. To know him, to love him, to serve him. You cannot serve somebody that you don't love. And you can't love someone you don't know. So there's a, there's a pattern to those words. To know him, to love him, to serve him on this earth, to be happy with him forever in heaven. That's what God wants of us. He wants to be known by us. If we're his disciples, he wants us to know who he is so we can love him and serve him. When we have this intimate love relationship with God, and the saints, by the way, the saints found this stuff out. They figured it all out. When you have an intimate love relationship with God, you do stupid things, stupid things. St. Francis of Assisi, to avoid any kind of uh, uh, impure distraction, he had, he had te sexual temptations, he stripped himself and threw himself on rose bushes. That's a nut. No matter how you want to do it, if, if one of you came in and said to Father Bill, you know, there's, there's if, the, the Father Vinny, he's in the rose garden rolling around naked you would say, there's a problem here. Especially with his body, he should not be naked. <clears throat> we do stupid things. So, back in 1973, when I was in love with Mary, we'll call her, it, this didn't happen, but it could have. If Mary, I lived in Long Island, and Mary said, uh, could you do me a favor tonight? This will be 5 o'clock in the evening on a nice summer night. Could you do me a favor? Uh, yeah, what? Could you go pick my mother up? Yeah. Where is she? McLean, Virginia. <laughs> Tonight? Yeah. Okay, let me see. If I, could, I, could, I could cut through. Do leave a, leave. I could do that in about five hours, five and a half hours maybe. And, you know, I get there about midnight and I could, okay, get back. I'd be, okay, I could do it. So my friend says to me, what are you doing tonight, Vinny? Oh, I'm going to pick up, what was the name I gave her? Um, Mary's mother. And, and he said, oh, yeah, I'll go with you. Okay, good. Uh, where does she live? Virginia. So what? I'm not going to Virginia. Oh, it's, it's no big deal. Why? Because I'm in love. This is not a problem. This is easy, you know? Down, back, done. Let's suppose we got married. And now we're two years married, 
And Mary says to me, could you go get me a glass of water? And I say to her, are your legs broken? <laughs> I got to walk all the way up those stairs to get water. Something happened here. When we are in love, there's emotional, there's an emotional world there that we become comfortable with. And we do crazy things. And so when we allow God to be in love with us, we have to allow him to do that because he can't force himself on us. He can only invite. And when he invites, we, can, we, we have to let him do it. And when, we, when he does it, it, and we feel that being in love, we're going to do crazy things, stupid things, things that make no sense to the people of the world. You know why? Because God did that already. He sent his son to be nailed to the cross. Why? He's in love with us. He does crazy things that make no sense to anybody outside of that understanding. This becomes a confusion to the world. A confusion to the world. When you're not in love, it doesn't make sense to do this. So, here's the challenge. How do I get in the boat? God never demands anything of me. Never. He respects my freedom. And so God invites me as a disciple of his, and he waits for a response. He waits. He might wait my whole life for a response. But his desire for me is so strong that if I let him, it will enter my heart so deeply that I might do crazy things things. Foolish things to everybody else, but to me, makes plenty of sense. When you're in love and you do crazy things, it makes plenty of sense. My response is based on how we see ourselves as loved. If I love functionally, my response is functional. It's my duty. And you know, when my response is functional, Got to get it in, got to get it out. Boom, boom. You know, come to church, get it checked in, checked out. It's my duty. If my love is passionate, my response will be passionate. Built on an affective response. Built on a response that something inside of my heart is stirring me to say yes to the invitation that God has given if love is not free, my response is not free. This is where resentment is born. What's resentment? Resentment is something that's good, starts out good and ends up bad. That's what it is. So let's say my mother lived a mile away from me. I have a brother who lives five miles away, and I got a sister who lives a half hour away. And so my mother has a stroke. I said, oh, gee, Ma, you know what? I have to pass by your house every day. I'm going to stop in every day. I'll make sure you have dinner, and, you know, I'll continue on. So on my way home, not a bother. Oh, I'm putting you out. No, you're not, Ma. It's not a big deal. 
And so the first month, it's, it's pretty easy. Second month, sixth month, it's starting to get a little tedious. It's, start, it's, it's not fun anymore. And I'm starting to repeat myself to my mother because she, don't, don't, don't go off. She doesn't want to be 98. I'm going to celebrate your birthday, Ma. What for? Well, you're going to be 98 now. I, I just want to die. I want to die. Why am I still alive? That's what she tells me. Why is God keeping me going? I said, because God, uh, you're an inspiration to a lot of people. Because my mother's very healthy. She walks around. And she's in an assisted living. But she's got all kinds of reasons but, uh, of why she can't remember things and all that. And so she says, uh, what do you mean I'm an inspiration? I, went, I said, my, you're an inspiration to people as they look at you that you age gracefully. Oh, tell them don't do it. <laughs> tell them it's not worth it. I says, ma, they don't have a choice. <clears throat> you got to hang in there, ma. My mother's got great lines. Her brother, my uncle, is 99. He'll be 100 in September. And, you know, he doesn't want to die. He wants to live. So my mother came up with this theory a couple of months ago. You know what? I, I, you know, Leo is older than I am. I said, yeah, I know. Maybe God wants him to die first because he's older. Has his health. <laughs> I, pretty good, ma. Just about as good as yours. You're in it for the, for the liking. So anyway, going back to my scenario. So... You know, oh, and I say to my mother, nowadays when I say to my mother, Ma, you don't listen to what I'm saying. You can't hear. You got these hearing aids, are they on? I'm old, I'm not supposed to hear. That's her line. I tell her, uh, you forget things. Yeah, when you get old, you forget. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what I do. Can't argue with that. So let's suppose now, six months into this, because it, it happens, you, you get so frustrated. And you snap. And you get angry. And then you get in the car, and now you're really angry because you got angry. And where's my patience? I'm just not that, I, I'm just a terrible person to my mother, blah, 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 blah. Now my brother comes in, and my mother says, You know, your brother stopped by the other day. Well, la di da. I'm by every day. I know, but your brother came in. You know, he lives far away, he's five minutes away, Ma. I know, but it's a big sacrifice. And then your sister came by the other day. She made pasta for me, tomato sauce. Her tomato sauce is incredible. Oh, really, Ma? I make tomato sauce for you every week. I know, but hers is really good. Oh, yeah? Then let her come and make the tomato sauce. No, I don't say that. But, but inside, I'm feeling this resentment slowly creeping up. And now... My brother says to me, you know what? Why don't I stop in three days a week and make dinner for her? Why should you do all this? And that's when the real martyr comes out in me and says, no, I'll do it. I'll do it. Resentment has all kinds of side trails. It's awful. What resentment is, it's something that's good, starts out good, and ends up bad. Because you know why? Why am I doing this? Well, she's my mother. I'm her son. That's not good enough. That's not a good enough reason. I'm doing it because I love her. I, I used to be at road chapel with the Giants, and one of the guys 
who uh, he works with the Giants. He's a security guy. And I stopped in to see him a few years ago, and he takes care. He was ta- at the time, his father was alive, and he was taking care of his father every day. And I said, uh, I said, you know, you really have a good spirit taking care of your father. He said, I love him. I look forward to taking him. I look forward to bathing him every night. I look forward to feeding him. Why? Because I love him. Love is the first reason, not responsibility. And so that's what it is with God. I don't have a responsibility to God. I have a love relationship with God. So God's invitation to me is out of love, and he expects me to respond to it freely out of love. True love is built on freedom. God can only love us out of freedom, so therefore we can only return that love out of freedom. Years ago, I said, my my father who passed away in 1993, my father was the wisest, happiest guy I ever met. And I remember he never answered. He was a school teacher, but he never answered a question with yes or no. You'd ask him some advice, and he'd give you a philosophical thing, and you had to figure it out. I didn't like that. I wanted a yes or no answer. And I asked him something one time. Oh, I remember what it was. I was early on in the priesthood. I was like five years a priest. I was doing formation work. I was doing a lot of different things. And I said, you know, I don't really feel free. He said, what do you mean? I said, I feel like, you know, people are pulling at me all the time, and I, there's not a freedom. I don't, I, don't, I don't even know who I am anymore. My identity is all mixed up. I'm giving him all this baloney. And he asks me a simple question. The day you were ordained, was it a free choice? I said, well, yeah. He said that every choice made from that free choice is a free choice. He said, when I got married, it was a free choice. When I had children, it was a free choice. I got a job teaching, it was a free choice. Bills started to come in. I had to start coaching football, coaching baseball, teaching Spanish, teaching night school. He said, those didn't feel free. But because they're built on the original free choice, they are free. Not every action that I do out of freedom feels free. Makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. That freedom that God calls me to in discipleship, not all of it feels comfortable. But the moment I said yes, whether it was 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 90 years ago, somewhere along the line I said yes, otherwise you wouldn't be in here right now. And somewhere along the line I said yes. The moment I said yes, every choice I make after that based on this faith and religion and discipleship is a free choice. might not feel free, but it's a free choice. Our response is only authentic when it's done in freedom. This is called Prayer is not the words you say. Prayer is a response to that invitation that God gives me. And that's an invitation out of freedom that uh, my response is authentic when it's done in freedom. It's not words. It's my heart. It's my affect. So then what's the cost? Cost of discipleship is defined how I define being loved. 
Can you let God love you? I could ask you this question. How do you love somebody? I mean, you'll give me all kinds of reasons how do you love somebody. You do kind things to them. You be generous to them. You go out of your way for them, blah, blah, blah. But I ask you a question. How do you be loved by someone? I only know of one answer. You let them. How do you be loved by someone? You let them. And so the cost of discipleship is, is defined by how I let God love me. Do I give him permission to love me? A person in love never defines what they do as sacrifice. Except my mother growing up, she'd say, you know, this is a sacrifice. You know, but so here's this woman. She's in love with this guy. She's been wanting to get married to him for the past eight years. She thinks the greatest thing in the world. Loves they, they really love each other. And so finally he says to her, I want to love, I want to marry you. And she goes, Oh my God, I've been waiting for that. I'm so happy. I'm so excited. Well, don't get too excited because there's a catch. My job is moving me to Venezuela for the next 10 years. So uh, you'd have to come with me. and It means you've got to leave your family behind. So she goes home. She shows everybody the ring, all excited. And, and they say, you know, oh, I'm so happy for you. Yeah, we're getting ready. We're moving to Venezuela. Family says, what? Well, we're moving to Venezuela. How could you do that? What a tremendous sacrifice. What's her response? No, it's not. I'm marrying the man I love. I've been waiting for this day. Is it going to be difficult? Sure it is. But my love for him is greater than anything else that's asked of me. She doesn't look at her life as a life of sacrifice. She looks at her life as a life of love. It's not a sacrifice, but it's a response to the love. If she looks at it as a sacrifice, I would tell the guy, don't marry her. It ain't going to turn out pleasant. Because after a while, she's going to start to say, I gave up my family for this. It's not a response. It's not a sacrifice. It's a response. Focus is always on the other, trusting in their lead. The focus is never on me. It's never of what am I getting out of this? Because the apostles said that. What's in it for us? You know, we give up everything. What's in it for us? I'll tell you what's in it for you. You're going to suffer. You're going to die. You're going to go through all these different things. But you're going to do it for me. If you do it for me, there's nothing greater. Jesus Christ on the cross, did he look at this and say, I am suffering for these people? Do they get it? Do they know what I'm going through? This hurts my hands. You know, I'm giving them a tremendous gift. They give me a pair of socks. I'm dying on the cross. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that at all. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Into your hands I commend my spirit. He says... All these things in throughout his life. There's no greater love than to give one's life for one's friends. Yeah, but does that mean painful? Yeah. Jesus Christ did not die on a cross and shout out, Ow, 
this hurts. I hope they appreciate what I'm doing. That wasn't what Jesus Christ said. Focus is always on the other. So when you look at Jesus on the cross, what's he looking at? He's looking out at the world. Looking out at the world, at all the sinfulness of the world, and saying, I want to take this on my shoulders. I love them. I love them. So what's discipleship? It's an invitation out of love, waiting for a response out of love. Simply that. It's an invitation from God, out of love, waiting as God waits for my response, out of love. Discipleship. That's how you get in the boat. You get in the boat when you say, I, I, I'm, I'm, on, I'm in, I'm in, I'm on to this. I'm going, I'm going. I'm with this. And God will do the rest. I'm done. <laughs> tomorrow night, tomorrow night we're talking about, oh, tomorrow night I'm going to tell you about what's the tool then that you need to get on this boat. There's a tool besides discipline, but discipline helps this tool. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You've got to come back tomorrow night to find out. Thank you very much for coming. <laughs>